Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Flood. If you value freedom, exploration, and adventures big and small, if you feel like you're a citizen of the world, want to see the whole world and make a difference, then you are going to love this interview. I'm joined by Amy Scott. She's the host of Nomadtopia, and we're going to talk a lot about location independence, creating a nomadic lifestyle, and how to create a business that you can run from anywhere. Amy Scott has uh, paid her dues. It took her about two years to get to where she is now. She's currently living in Buenos Aires, about to head to Mexico in a couple of weeks. After that, I'm not sure where she's going. But Amy, I just want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be on this side of the microphone for once. (laughs) So you've interviewed so many digital nomads on your podcast up to this point. You've had so many great stories and conversations. I'm really excited to kind of dig in and Uh, hear some of those stories. But before that, why don't you tell me a little bit about your story and what was it like getting to where you are now? Sure. Well, actually, I was kind of laughing to myself when you said it took two years to get where I am because it was a lot longer than that, really. I've been location independent for uh, just over 11 years. So this has been um, so you could say it took me 11 years to get where I am today. Um, but yeah, before that, it took me two and a half years of planning and saving to get ready for, um, what was then the, my first step was taking around the world trip. So I quit my job to travel in 2004 and, um, then didn't want it, you know, so I traveled for about nine months, um, which was roughly what I had set out to do. And I had the savings to do that. And then didn't want to go back to an office job after that, no surprise. So I, my background was in publishing, and it was a pretty easy transition to just say, okay, now I'm freelance, and um, contacted everyone I knew in publishing and kind of hung up my shingle as a freelance editor and proofreader. And that was in, yeah, like August 2005. So I've been doing that ever since. And, um, that was really my intention from the beginning was to be able to work from anywhere, continue the adventure. You know, I'd met a lot of people on my travels who were doing interesting things. You know, this was really kind of the days before what anyone called a digital nomad. And yet I met people who were finding all kinds of creative ways to live the lifestyle that they wanted to. And I thought, well, there's no reason I can't be a freelance editor from anywhere. Um, and that was just kind of, you know, the internet and all the necessary tools and stuff were kind of just coming into being in a way that it was really possible. So yeah, that's really where it all started. I think my story was kind of similar to yours when I first came to Thailand and I just met all these backpackers everywhere, all these people from all around the world. And they just had all these interesting stories. And I just felt so inspired. It was like, is this real life? You know, I felt like, um, I was like in the the bar at Moss Eisley or something and meeting all these interesting characters when I came to Bangkok the first time, you know, with uh, Han exactly. Solo and all these, but, but, uh, that, that's what really kind of opened my eyes. And then I, I came back after like six months and I, I felt like, why do I need to rejoin the rat race? It doesn't make any sense to me. Everyone that I'm trying to work with now and get a job with is like envying me and like jealous of me. So why should I start to live my life like them? And I really thought that I guess when I started, I had a feeling like, oh, I can always go back to that conventional life. But then I got back and I was like, no, I can't. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so take me back to that moment back in 2004. Where did you travel and, and what was the feeling like when you came back? What, what do you feel like that reverse, I don't want to say culture shock, but trying to reintegrate uh-huh. into society? Was there a moment that like you realized that I just, I can't do this? Um, it was a little different for me, actually. So when I left my job. So yeah, I com- you know, completely quit. It wasn't like a sabbatical or anything. I quit hundred percent, gave up my apartment, um, put some stuff in storage, but I got rid of almost everything. Um, I kept like a couple pieces of furniture and then like some, you know, books and clothes and stuff. So I had everything in storage. Um, I was living in the San Francisco Bay area. So I put everything in storage there and I 
didn't really have any idea what I was going to do when I got back. I thought, well, I'll obviously come back here at least to get my stuff. But beyond that, I really don't know. Am I going to get another job? Am I going to move somewhere else? You know, when you set off on something like that, it's like, there's no doubt that it's going to change you and change your life in some way, but it's almost impossible to predict how, right? So I was like, well, I might want totally different things when I get back and we'll just see what happens. So in the course of my trip, um, you know, I definitely had a lot of time to think about like about the experience and what I wanted out of life. And like you said, I met people like I still talk about this woman I met from England. I met her on a boat to an island in Thailand. And we were kind of like, yo, so what are you doing here? And she said a couple of years ago, she decided that she was never going to spend another winter in London. And so she set up her life so she can travel to, she went to Thailand a lot, but she'd been other places too. So pretty much traveled every winter. And I thought, now that is brilliant. (laughs) Maybe I can, you know, try to do something like that. And then at the very end of my trip, I purposely set out time. I spent a week on the beach in Koh Chang in Thailand uh, before I flew back to the States. And um, actually, no, I stopped in London on the way. But anyway, um, I wanted to have some concentrated time to really be intentional about kind of processing what I had been through and what I was going back to and what was going to be next in my life. And in the, like, I guess last month or so of my trip, I was coming to the decision that, um, that I was going to start working for myself and that I wanted to, yeah, that I, I really, so basically by the time I got back to the States, I already had no intention of looking for a job. And it's funny because when I had my last job in publishing before that, I often thought about going out on my own. You know, I hired and worked with freelancers all the time and I thought, oh, I could do that. But it seemed like such a scary leap to quit my job to do that. For some reason, it wasn't scary to quit my job to travel. So at then I was like, well, I've got nothing to lose. I already don't have a job. I might as well, you know, give this a shot and see what happens. So I went back to the States fully intending to basically set up you know, working for myself, kind of try it out, start making money while I was back in the States and then leave again. So that was the plan from the beginning. And, um, in 2007, I moved to Argentina. Did you have to make sacrifices to your lifestyle when you came back and you were, you were freelancing and did you ever, uh, what, what are some of the fears or doubts you had along the way? Did you ever have that or do you have any like, uh, financial struggles? I mean, walk me through that. Mm. Um, I feel like actually I gave up more, I had you know, kind of more sacrifices in the years leading up to quitting my job. Cause I was living in San Francisco, which is, you know, even back then was expensive and, um, not making a ton of money. And so like I sold my car to save money, um, you know, really pared down my spending and my lifestyle because I was so focused on being able to save money and being able to take that trip. Um, And then I actually changed my, some of the itinerary for my trip at the end. I had a kind of tentative plan that I might go to South Africa and do some more traveling in Africa and decided not to do that in part because I wanted to go home with some money in the bank, um, thinking, well, I'm going to need to buy a laptop. I'm going to need to, you know, like get stuff out of storage and at least for the moment, find a place to live, all that stuff. So I don't remember exactly, but I went home. I I don't know, a couple thousand in the bank probably. Um, and then in some ways I kind of got into, you know, I actually moved to LA at that point. And like, so I'm like, well, I'm in LA, I need a car. And, you know, I had to find a place to live in. So I kind of fell back into some of those trappings of like a normal life, except for the job <laughs> that okay. was a, like very resistant to not having the job. Um, but I feel like during that time, the, oh, I'm, it's kind of surprising looking back, but the finances really worked quite well. I got freelance work like immediately, um, some from my old employer and then from some other contacts and, um, 
you know, was able to buy a car for 500 bucks <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> just, you know, found a pretty cheap apartment and that all kind of worked out. Um, mm -hmm. but fast forward a little bit and I ended up moving back to the East coast for a while and ended up living in Philadelphia and I got a part-time job and that was probably when things were the tightest and I was feeling really antsy to get the hell out of the country again. I already knew I wanted to move to Argentina. Um, and I don't remember if I had a specific dollar amount on it, but I knew I really wanted to have some money in the bank before I left. Um, you know, I'm sure by that point I'd already blown through the savings I had from when I got back buying the computer and all that. So yeah, that was a pretty tough time. I was feeling like, so I was living with two roommates in Philadelphia. Um, I worked at the gym <laughs> in my neighborhood, um, and was just, yeah, like working like crazy, like working freelance jobs. And then also, you know, doing like, I forget, like 20 hours a week at the gym and not really meeting anybody who understood what I was trying to do. Everyone was like, you want to what you're going, where, why would you do that? Just, so I remember that time definitely feeling kind of isolating and like, like I knew it was going to be worth it, but it was definitely, um, tough going sometimes. And I finally just got to a point where I was like, well, this looks like, you know, as good a time as any. Um, so I bought my ticket and I thought maybe I'd go to Argentina for like six months, a year. I didn't really have a plan. Um, and it's been my home base ever since. And I met my husband here. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it ended up being a good move. Yeah. So it sounds like you're, you were kind of in a similar place like me. Like uh, when you were back in San Francisco, you said that it was expensive. You weren't making much money. You were just trying to save and save and kind of like spinning the wheels. And I feel like you were kind of moving away from a life that you didn't want. You were kind of avoiding the pain of your former life and kind of escaping that. And that kind of was worth it for you to, to really go into this with both feet, mm. jump in with both feet. Well, you know what's interesting, actually, is that um, there was nothing wrong with my life at all. And I really had no complaints about my life. Things were great. I loved my job. I had a nice apartment. Um, was living with my boyfriend at the time. Like, everything was going great. I and just why, why changed things then? <laughs> well, right. I know. It's kind of funny. Here's what happened. I went up to Washington State for the weekend to um, spend some time with my cousins who live up there and some other family. And I have some cousins who are about 10 years older than me. One of them had just gotten married. And that weekend, I remember over lunch, them telling me, so like three of them were, who were all like, at the time, they would have been like late 30s, early 40s. And they were all saying like, oh, you know, I'm so glad that I had a chance to travel and I did all this stuff, you know, before we got married, before we kind of settled down. And they're kind of looking at me like, you could be doing way more of that than you are. Like, we know you love to travel, you know, like, are you really happy with two weeks a year? And like, you know, why don't you mix things up a little bit? And they didn't have any specific suggestions, really. They were just kind of like, you know, live a little, right? Like now's your chance. You're young, you're single, you don't have kids, you know, whatever. And something about that hit me really strongly. And by the time I got back to San Francisco, I was saying to my boyfriend who had not been there that weekend, I got back and I was like, all right, here's this crazy idea. I think we should quit our jobs. I think we should travel for at least six months. Maybe after that we can like move to New York, which you were interested in, or maybe we can move to another country, you know, like who knows? And I just felt so compelled to do that for some reason and was like obsessed from that moment on. So it wasn't like my life sucks or I'm not happy or whatever. <laughs> it was more just like, that sounds phenomenal. And yeah, my cousins are right. Like, what am I waiting for? Right? Like, why not do something like that? Um, you experienced and your first I, like, high of travel. They didn't say, what's that? You, you experienced your first high of travel and then you had to go and get your fix again. I guess so. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I'd done plenty of travel, but it was always like the two-week you know, whatever I could scrape together with my vacation time. And like, that was never very satisfying, but I'm like, well, that's all you get really. And by, by um, two week, you mean you, you spell it T O O W E A K two week, right? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about, so we talked about your what and your why. I mean, you, you had this intention to create this lifestyle. Uh, how did you kind of prop it up? How did you create this successful freelancing business? How did you get your clients? What worked well for you? Um, what exactly were you doing as far as, you know, the, the relationship you had with them? You know, how much work were you doing? Were they they're paying you on a monthly basis? Can you can you break it down for me? Yeah, so let's see. And well what's interesting is that it's changed dramatically in the last ten years. Um, when I started, like I said, I had contacts in publishing, you know, I'd worked at two different publishing companies and had met a lot of people in the publishing industry and so it was really like, it's funny. I remember reading some stuff about how, like, even if you're quote unquote, a freelancer, like you have to think of yourself as a business owner. Right. And so I was trying to do that. And yet I think the significant aspect of what I would say freelancing is, is your clients are setting all of the parameters. So I, you know, I was getting a lot of work through my old employers, through other contacts, you know, who worked at different publishing companies and so on. But it was always, you know, the publishing company had me on their roster of people who were available. This is, I work primarily in book publishing. So, you know, they would have me on their list of people who could edit books as needed. And they would say, okay, here's the situation. We've got a book. It's this long. We pay this much. This is when it's due. This is the level of editing that's required, yes or no. And there really was not much room for negotiation, if any. And I was, you know, just having to um, really accept the terms that, you know, every publishing company was a little different, but that was really the way it worked. And at some point, actually, I think my first motivation to start to change things was that I also noticed I wasn't getting to do any I had no direct interaction with the authors, like 95% of the time. And um, when I worked in-house, I had a lot of contact with the authors. And I realized that was something that I enjoyed and I wanted to have more of that collaboration. And it was also good timing because self-publishing and, you know, Kindle and eBooks and all of this stuff was just starting to really uh, take off. And so I was able to make a switch to mostly working, actually, yeah, I'd say now almost entirely working with, um, directly with writers and, or even people who don't consider themselves writers, right. Who, um, for whatever reason, want to publish a book. And now I realized it's a total flip. And I now think of myself much more as a business owner because I'm calling the shots and I say, Oh, you have a project that needs editing. Okay, here's how long it will take me. Here's how much it will cost. Here's, you know, the level of editing that I suggest if you don't have an opinion on that. You know, all of those things. Um, and also getting to really collaborate with, um, directly with the person who wrote the content. So, um, long story short, that's kind of where I started and where I've ended up. Um, it's certainly been a, a journey <laughs> along the way. Um, but it's been almost entirely word of mouth, um, for a really long time. And also I used, you know, job boards and, um, online listings and would contact publishing companies directly, um, either to see if they were hiring or because I saw something online that said they, you know, they put a, out a call for freelancers. Um, and what were some these of those websites that you, you went to? Oh, well, they were really specific to editing. Um, like, for example, there's a couple different associations. So I was a member of the Editorial Freelancers Association. There's a Bay Area editorial forum or something. I forget what it's called. Um, so some of those organizations that would have job listings. Um, I can't even think of any other ones right now. Um, Did you have a successful just, uh, approach for uh, going onto these forums and these associations and then kind of advertising yourself and, and getting the clients on board, like signed up? Um, no. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I was, I guess, you know, successful in the sense that I got work and people hired me, but I didn't have any kind of 
system really, except, you know, just continuously brainstorming where people might be going who were looking for freelancers and how I could get in front of those people. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure this was before, I don't remember when Elance started, for example, but I, but that, um, I believe wasn't really available until I was a little further along. And I guess I felt like I didn't want to go well, at the time I kind of saw it as going backwards because I, it seemed like it was really a lot of low priced, um, you know, offers on there. And I didn't really want to go that direction. So I never used anything like Elance, um, as a way to get clients. So how do you get like, um, high ticket, uh, jobs as a freelance editor and kind of make enough income that you're able to replace your full-time job? What, what mm-hmm. was, when did you turn the corner from like, you know, low cost, uh, one-off jobs to like higher value clients and mm-hmm. projects? Yeah. Well, I don't, in some ways, I don't know that I have turned the corner. <laughs> well, and no, what's <laughs> funny is actually, so like, I remember a piece of what you asked before that I didn't answer was a lot of the publishing companies, they would pay by the hour and pretty low rates, like $20 an hour, um, which was fine when I was first starting out. Um, and you know, another significant piece of this is that I have really lived my life in a way that my expenses and my needs have not been very significant. And so, you know, it really helped me stretch my dollars, so to speak. And, um, you know, so I think the main thing that's changed, I'm actually making probably make about the same money now that I did when I, no, no, that's not true. Not entirely true, but, um, my income hasn't changed that much over the years. It's just the number of hours that I work (laughs) because now I make a lot more than $20 an hour if things are going well. And so, um, I don't have to put in the same number of hours to make the same amount of money. So that's the main thing that's changed. And I think, you know, I'm very focused on like referral network in terms of, you know, anytime I finish a project, um, I ask the client for a testimonial. And I also say, like, I think I have like a little kind of questionnaire I send them to get them thinking and kind of answering, um, you know, answer those questions to create the testimonial. And the last question on there is, um, you know, would you recommend me to friends or to other people. And then I say after that, by the way, if you would recommend me to people, please do, you know, because most of my work comes through word of mouth and I would really appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, so much comes back out of that. You know, the people Mm -hmm. say, Oh, so-and-so gave me your name. Um, sometimes too, if a client is feeling particularly appreciative, they'll put my name in the book. (laughs) And then, you know, I've had people contact me from that too. You know, like I saw that you edited so-and-so's book and, um, you know, I'd love to work with you. What about, um, do you ever have like tire kickers or people who are are leads, but then they like, Oh, you know, I wanted to do this, but it's just an idea. Um, or, you know, they, they take their time to actually work with you. Like, I feel like that, that can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. And, you know, it's interesting because some people, um, there's a lot of debate about whether you should have your prices on your website. And I, I feel, I can't remember exactly. I feel like there was a time when I did not have my prices on my website and, um, that happened a lot more, right. That people would contact me. And then once we got to the point of like, how much is it actually going to cost? They were like, Ooh, yeah, no, that's out of my budget. Like, well, that was a waste of everybody's time. (laughs) So I, um, have made a point of having more specific price information on my website, but actually that reminds me of something else, which is significant is that in the early days, my website was kind of like, um, what's the word for that? Kind of like a portfolio site in the sense of like, it was basically like a resume, right? I had like a list of the projects I'd worked on. I actually had like my resume on there. I had, you know, like these are the services I offer because I was speaking to publishers and to people who knew the industry. And it was about five years ago that I started really consciously making a shift to working with self-publishing writers and specifically with entrepreneurs and realized that they have no idea 
what I'm talking about. Maybe they don't even know what they're looking for. They don't know what an editor can do for them. And I had to really change the way I was presenting myself and my work on my website to speak to that audience. And so I think that's something, you know, I want to point that out just because it's really important to think about who your audience is and like, what do they know about what you do and about, you know, what it can do for them. So that was a huge uh, shift that I made. Gotcha. Yeah. I talked to uh, one consultant, uh, Gregory Deal, in a previous podcast. And the way he put it is he just said that um, if you're attracting high value clients, you know, successful people, uh, they're probably really busy. So don't waste their time with a lot of details. They have a problem that they need solved and just focus mm-hmm. on how you're going to solve that problem. And that's, that's it. You know, what's yeah. the, what's the problem their business has? This is what I'm going to do for you. Uh, boom. And he says, you know, like, just, just hire me, like maybe on a small basis or like a small job first, and then we'll, I'll keep adding more value as we go. And mm-hmm. I guess my take on that is, um, I have a three, three step process I follow, which is, um, one, they have that, you know, the problem or their need, identify what that need is, uh, two, find out what the opportunity is that they want to take advantage of, the opportunities of how they want to take their business to the next level. And then three, find out what their, their strengths are as a business owner. You know, what are they really good at? And then you can kind of formulate a solution. You come in as a solution. You solve the needs. You help them take advantage of opportunities. And you can help them play up their strengths as a business owner. And I mm-hmm. find that that three-step formula works pretty well. Is it, I guess it's pretty similar with what you do. Is just like, you know, this is what you need, and this is how I'm going to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I definitely have found that, you know, the people who – just in the past year, like I've had some really big projects and like I've sent proposals like with my eyes closed, like, Oh my God, like that seems like a ridiculous amount of money. Oh my God. And then people are like, that sounds totally reasonable. Sign me up. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. (laughs) You know? And so part of, and then those are the people who I find recognize the most, um, really respect my work and the value of what I am bringing to the table. And, you know, there's no doubts about like if it's worth the money or if maybe they should just do it themselves or, you know, all those kinds of things. It's like finding it's so satisfying when you find those clients who are like, yep, almost like I don't care what it costs. Just do it. Sounds amazing. (laughs) I'm actually thinking of one time when, uh, several years ago when I had a broken window in my house and uh-huh. I had this guy come over to, to fix the window and I was prepared to pay him like a hundred dollars or something like that to fix the window. And he, I asked him, you know, how much do you want for it? And he said something like $15 or something like that. And uh-huh. I, I just kept my mouth shut. I was like, all right, that's fine. Uh, here you go. And I just, I even gave him a tip of like $5, you know, uh-huh. I was prepared to pay a hundred, but he, he only asked for 15. So I only paid him about 20, which is pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, we are having the same thing right now. So I own an apartment in Buenos Aires, and um, we've been gone for a year. We rented out on Airbnb when we're gone, and we just came back and have some, you know, repairs and stuff to take care of. And one of them is actually a window thing, and we are having a hell of a time finding someone who actually will repair a window or, like, the latch is broken on our slider. Um everyone's like, Oh, we can make you a new window, you know, a new door. And it's like, well, we don't want that. Just fix the stupid latch. And when we, we just yesterday found somebody who was willing to come and do it. And I was like, ready to throw money at him. I was like, thank God you exist. You're here. Just do whatever you need to do. I don't care how much it costs. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's like your ideal client, right? Yeah. That's the, those are the people that we need to connect with. So, so how can we like hone in on this a little bit more and take the lessons from this example? Like, uh, if, if we have that client, which is this, you know, they're willing to just pay anything to, uh, fix their problem or, mm-hmm. you know, get that value. Like how, how can we really make sure that we're charging, uh, not undercutting ourselves, you know, not charging $15 mm-hmm. when we could be charging 50, 75, 85, a hundred dollars. Right. Right. Well, the first thing that came to mind before you mentioned like the charging part of it that, so I'll just throw this in there is I think it's so important that if you are in that, well, I mean, regardless, but especially in that situation where people are like, I don't care what it costs, just help me. 
you've got to deliver and like over deliver and like blow their minds. Right. Because, um, well, one, just because then everybody's happy, but then also because those are the people who will then tell all their friends and, you know, like if you can keep those people happy, like you don't want them to be like, I don't care whatever it takes. And then like, you don't really do that good a job. Like that's a crappy situation to be in. Um, how about that but initial, turns, like, um, like that initial yeah. conversation where they're like, uh, do, you, do you probe to just find out what their budget is? What do you suggest? Well, um, like I said, I have a, I have, well, I have a variety. I have some specific pricing on my website, and then I also have some ranges, you know, like this, uh, like copy editing starts at this price or whatever. And so ideally, if people have looked at my website, they have, some of that information coming in, which, like I said, I think is helping a lot to um, weed out some of the tire kickers. Um, but also I do a sample edit. And again, this is kind of specific to my work, but if people are feeling like unsure about what they need, or they're not sure like what I can do for them, I'll do a free sample, um, of their own writing, because I think that's a lot more representative than if I show them something else that I edited. And, um, then send that back to them say like, this is basically, you know, how I would approach your work and how much, you know, and then also with that, I give a proposal on, you know, turnaround time and estimated costs and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, from there people either, you know, find a way, either say yes immediately or find a way to make it work or they move on. And a lot of the time at that point, it's not so much about price and more about, um, you know, just finding somebody that they connect with. Maybe they sent, you know, maybe they contacted a couple editors and for some reason someone else's work resonated more. Um, a lot of the time that's what I think ends up making the difference. But I wanted to go back to what you said about, um, uh, what did you say? I'm talking about charging and like, how do you know you're not undercutting, but like how much can you charge? And I feel like I kind of find that happy medium when some people are like, that's too, you know, I have people who walk away, right? Because they say, oh, I can't pay that much. But then I have other people who say, okay, let me think about it. Let me see if I can make that work, you know, so they're stretching a little bit to make it happen. And then other people, like I said, who are like, yep, fabulous, sign me up. And so I feel like that tells me that I'm in kind of that sweet spot where, you know, it's not for everybody. Um, but you know, not everybody is saying no. So, um, yeah, I feel like that kind of gives me a gauge that I'm on the right track. Yeah. And I think that it's important to also be flexible with your pricing and, um, you know, if, if you come up a little bit too high and they say, well, I can't afford that and you, you can still negotiate, you know, you can still say, Mm -hmm. um, well, we can do half now and then, uh, when I finish the project and I can show you, I think if you can show them that you can deliver value that's far in excess of what they're paying you, as far as, you know, the, the time they'll save or the money that they're going to get back by working with you, I think that's really yeah. where you're in the sweet spot. Yeah. And I remember somebody saying that um, in terms of negotiating that instead, so yeah, say someone says, well, it's a little high. Can we, you know, is there some wiggle room there? Instead of just giving, coming back with a lower price, um, I've heard that it's better to just offer them more for the same price, and which I like because then it's not like, oh, that was an arbitrary price, and sure, I can come down on that, you know, like it doesn't really matter. Instead, but if you say like, well, the price is the price, however... I can also throw in X or Y or, you know, something that's not necessarily, um, you know, a huge stretch for you, but gives them even more added value. And then it's like, oh, well, yeah, okay. You know, that, that really sounds worth it, you know? How important to you is the source of the lead? Do you find that, um, you know, leads from one source tend to be worse than others? Do you, do you, what's the best mm-hmm. one for you? Maybe like warm referrals? That's a good question. I would say, um, yeah, a lead from a satisfied customer of mine who is also 
you know, somebody that I loved working with, like I said, somebody who, you know, recognized the value of my work, recognizes my expertise, um, you know, felt that I was worth the money, all that kind of stuff. If they refer people to me, then yeah, that, that would, I would say is like the warmest kind of lead, right? Because I feel like, well, if one person, you know, like it's just going to kind of be on the same wavelength if they come recommended by somebody like that. So you kind of find your ideal client and then you just manifest, you say, I want another one of this ideal client basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, if it, if it was an ideal client, I'm even more telling them like, you know, I've really enjoyed working with you. Please, if you know anyone else, you know, who needs an editor, send them my way. Um, and in fact, I'm at the point where I'm, yeah, I mean, I am focusing my network in networking in some ways to get in front of more of the people that, you know, like my ideal, like, yeah, where my ideal clients hang out. So I'm working on that. Okay, cool. So I'm checking out your website as you talk. It's nomadeditorial.com. And, um, good example of just a well put together freelance site, uh, you know, really clear and concise what the benefit is, um, you know, what, what the problem is just really focus on, on you. It says you're writing a book. Um, and then you kind of just use the, kind of get into the mindset, use the right language. It's really well put together. Yeah. Well, thank you. And it's funny that you're looking at it now because I just tweaked it like all day Friday. (laughs) Just a couple of days ago, I w- I did a bunch of um, I did some rewording and stuff based on some feedback I'd gotten. So, um, so yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about it. The next step is a redesign. Okay, well, there's a lot of things I like about this website. I mean, one, you have your um, it's it's really clear what you do. You know, at the top you have the header. It says your guide through the writing wilderness. And then, if you go to work with me, you focus a lot on like the writing process, some of the struggles writers have. Um, and then you have resources to help them, but you're really kind of speaking the language. Like you, you really understand what writers are going through, what they're doing. And then if you go to your testimonials, I mean, you have like, you have like 30 testimonials on here a lot. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't see the pricing though. Where's, where is that? Is that on your about page? Oh, okay. If you go to work with me and then, um, it's kind of broken down into different sections. So this is good feedback because I just changed this. So maybe it's not clear. Um, so under like, you know, like you have a finished draft or I forget what it says. I don't have it in front of me, but there's click here for more details or something like that. There's a couple links in there. Maybe they're not obvious enough and they take you to two different pages. One, which is more editing and proofreading. And the other one, which is a little bit more like coaching and developmental editing. So the prices are on those pages. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I'm, I'm loading it up right now. So so yeah, if you're listening to this and you're interested in freelancing, you want an example of like a website you can put together, uh, check out nomadeditorial.com. One piece of advice I try to give to people is that when they're starting out, when they're freelancing, don't spend too much time on your website. You know, don't, don't spend like three months, you know, just putting together your website. You don't have a client yet, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I think once, once someone has like a stable base of clients, they have some, some case studies, some testimonials. They understand their market, who their ideal client is, then that, that's probably a good time to start, you know, putting some attention on your website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I would also say, don't spend too much money on your website when you're just starting out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta get something out there. You know, you don't have to have like the five thousand dollar web designer and the copywriter and the whatever. Just you know, make yourself a home online, and you can upgrade and tweak as you go along. Mine's definitely been a work in progress. Still is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at your editing page, which you just recommended. So you, yeah. really, you really speak to your prospects really well. You say, you know, you've completed a draft of your book, but the doubts are creeping in. And then you focus on, like, pain points, you know, things they're struggling with. You do a really good job at that. And then you say, not only can I help you take care of all this, I can, you know, eliminate distractions. Your message resonates better. Your writing sounds better. I'll help you increase your confidence. Um just you did really well, like what you, we just talked about, you know, this consulting where mm-hmm. uh, you focus on those problems and then just the value that you add. Um, so if you guys want to see like a really well put together, you know, freelancing site, check out nomadeditorial.com. What ways do you think that you could do better? Because you said it's a work in progress. Yeah. So 
like I said, I literally just like three days ago spent quite a bit of time tweaking the copy. And, um, some of what you just described is brand new. So I, someone pointed out to me that I wasn't being super clear about some of that stuff. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go back in and just make it really obvious and really just like, yeah, you know, this is what you're dealing with. This is what's going on. This is how I can help. Um, and what I also just did is made much more clear on that page, like this is what copy editing is and this is how, you know, how much of that costs. And then this is what proofreading is, et cetera. Um, again, going into that kind of educating clients when they don't necessarily know what they're looking for. Um, but you know, part of it, and this goes back to some of the pricing conversation we were having. So this website was a huge upgrade from my last website, which I did like hand coded HTML that I learned by myself, (laughs) uh, back in 2005. So this one was a huge upgrade, but it's from most of the design and all that is from like 2011, 2012. And I'm feeling like, you know, um, website, just even just like the capabilities of what a website can do like what's the word I'm looking at? Like the functionality of a website has changed so much just in the last couple of years. And like, it's not a responsive theme. So it looks horrible on mobile. Don't go visit it when you're on your phone. <laughs> and, um, and also, so again, yeah, the pricing thing I am feeling like, and I haven't had anyone tell me this. It's just a feeling I have that my site does not reflect where I'm trying to position myself in the market. And, you know, my prices are certainly higher than some. And I feel like the next step is making some tweaks that whether that's a full redesign or just changing the theme and, you know, kind of tweaking some stuff, I want to really own that position, you know, and, and have a website that looks like it fits my pricing. So that's probably the big uh, next step for me there. I think if I would make one comment, and the only thing I see missing is that um, your your niche seems to be quite broad. You don't um, have it focused on like a specific type of author, I guess. Like you haven't sub niched mm-hmm. it, and I don't know if, if that's intentional. Um, but do do you find that it helps when you say like um, you know you could be for anyone or everyone, or you could just be for like nonfiction writers or, um, how to, you know, personal improvement writers or just focusing on like a certain niche of, of clients and do better that way. Have you considered that? Yeah. Well, that's funny that you mentioned that because I do definitely consider myself, um, well, I, it's funny. So I like to work on a little bit of everything. So yes, in some ways it's intentionally broad, but at the same time, I definitely consider myself more specialized in nonfiction. But now that you mention it, I don't know if my website says that anywhere. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess I feel like the way I have the language to an extent probably speaks more to a nonfiction writer than a fiction writer, for example. But yeah, I mean, it's one of, see, this is a good example too of how this stuff can be really clear in your own head, but nobody can read your mind. (laughs) And if you don't really spell things out, nobody else knows. So yeah, like in my head, well, and you know, like on social media and stuff, I certainly talk about being specialized in nonfiction books. And yet look at that. I somehow neglected to mention on my website that I'm nonfiction. So yeah, <laughs> we all have Small this detail. issue. I, I have this issue myself yeah. and I, I know a lot of uh, self-employed people, like they have really, they struggle to explain who they are and what they do. And they have all these different ideas and thoughts in their head and for a lot of people, they, their website kind of becomes this meandering dialogue, you know, where they're kind of all over the place and not focused. So I feel like it helps to just have a template, you know, focus on yeah. who you are, like really quickly, you know, what's the problem they solve? How do you help them? You do have that dialed in pretty well. But the reason I, I mentioned myself is because I'm, I'm planning this Indiegogo campaign and I'm trying to describe this product, you know, but then I kind of give all this information, but not like the most obvious information, you know, what is open world magazine. And then I had to add that in later. I had to say that this is a digital magazine through iTunes because I didn't have it in there. <laughs> I had like uh-huh. the whole idea behind the magazine, you know, like, you know, it's going to be inspirational. We're going to have all these cool people, but they, I didn't even like tell them what the format of the magazine was. So how are they supposed mm-hmm. to know? <laughs> you know? 
And I think that it's, sometimes you miss what's like obvious. You know, it, maybe it's obvious to you, but but to other people, like they don't understand. And I guess exactly. sometimes it helps to have that feedback. You know, maybe have another set of eyes to look at your project or your website. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so thank you for that. <laughs> so you also do consulting, Amy. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, how you help people who want to start on this nomadic life? Maybe they come to you. What are the, some of the problems they have, and how do you come in and help them? Yeah, so that is a newer venture. I started Nomadtopia in 2011, and just, you know, it was one of those things where I was doing a bunch of like courses and exercises and stuff where they're like, you know, uh, what's the stuff that you could talk about all day? You know, what's the stuff that you just love to read about and explore and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, location independence and travel and, you know, all of this stuff that I've been living for so long. And so that was why I started it. And when, so I have a couple different ways that I've experimented with, you know, supporting people who want to do that. And I've had online courses and, um, an ebook and then the podcast and then, yeah, one-on-one coaching and consulting. And, you know, it's all really focused around. So I guess it's kind of, there's phases that people go through. And so the first step for me is showing people that it's possible Right. And that's a lot of what the podcast is about and the blog and all of that. Um, just to kind of open one's mind to the possibilities and to break through all of the excuses and all the reasons why you can't do it or you shouldn't do it or whatever, because there's plenty of that. Um, so breaking through to that first step of just like, let's just explore the possibilities around this. Um, and so usually when people come, by the time they come to me for coaching, that has already happened. You know, they're already in that place of like, yeah, I could totally do this. All right. But I still don't really know how or why or when. And, um, I actually work with people both at that point. And then I also work with people who are already doing it to some extent, but it's not quite right. You know, they want to make some tweaks or it's just not going the way they thought it would. Um, and and it's really just, you, sorry, uh-huh. you, you told me the number one question that they, people ask you, and, and this was what you told me when you interviewed me for your podcast is, <laughs> what did I say? How do you make money as a nomad? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Did I say that? That was, that was the thing when I, when, before we did the interview, you, you said you wanted to talk about monetization, uh, how I monetize my business. And uh, right. you said that that was the thing people kept asking you over and over again. <laughs> Yeah. Well, not so much. Um, I wasn't getting that so much like with one-on-one clients, but it came up as, um, feedback for the podcast because people said that like we were talking about, you know, everything else except how people were literally making money to support their lifestyle. Um, and actually I've recognized that I feel like my strong suit is not in helping people who are like, Oh, this sounds really cool. Hmm. I still have a full-time job. What kind of business could I start? You know, I don't, I'm realizing that that's not really the point when I can best help people. And more and more of my clients are, and what I'm, you know, the ones I'm looking for are at that point of, they actually have their own business, or at least it's already, you know, on its way. Um, so they know how they're going to make money. Um, and how they're going to be able to be location independent. And then it's just a matter of, yeah, but how do I actually take this on the road? And is my business really like I can do it in my home office, but can I really work from anywhere? And what am I going to do with my house and my stuff? And, you know, how do I actually break the the cords and and make that happen? Yeah, that's great advice. So they're already pretty dialed in. They have work experience. They have a skill set. And it's just about, you know, taking that skill set and then making it nomadic. I think that's really, like, a far easier place to start from rather than saying, oh, I don't have any experience. I don't have any skills. Um, I don't really know what I want to do, but I just want to make money right. and be nomadic. And I think that way you're kind of going backwards. It's going to take you a long time to – it's almost kind of how I did it. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, you know, there's already so many courses out there and coaches and whatever – for those early stages that like, I just think, you know, 
there's so many people you can learn that part from. And yeah, like that's not really where my expertise is. So I'd rather come in later in the process once you've already nailed down some of the other stuff. Yeah. The reason I use myself as an example is because it took several years of just trying to trying everything. I've done so many different jobs and I've taken all these online courses. Like you said, I've spent $3,500 on one, you know, video marketing course or 2000 on a, another course, you know, from another internet marketer. Yeah. I'm just spending a lot of money and, and time along the way and experimentation. I mean, it's not quite as efficient as knowing, you know, what value you already provide and what your experience is and what you want to do, being clear on that first. Yeah, I know. And that can really be, yeah, a long process to figure that out. And, um, I mean, I'm still figuring that out myself. I recognize that, you know, in the process of working with people, I mean, obviously I've been working for myself for 10 years. I've learned a thing or two, (laughs) but I'm not like, you know, I'm still not necessarily like, I don't have all my systems dialed in. I don't have like the best, you know, marketing and sales funnels and all this stuff. And so it's like, if you're really in those beginning stages, there are other people who can really help you nail that stuff down. So, but I can also help you, you know, figure out like how you're going to work with clients, no matter where you are and what's going to be your backup internet situation. And how do you make your office paperless and, you know, all those kinds of things, which is more kind of the yeah, just kind of the day-to-day logistics of it. Yeah, so once you already have that direction, once you already have something established, then it just becomes focusing in on actionable steps. You know, how do I mm-hmm. take things virtually? How do I market myself? How do I monetize while I'm abroad? And then it's it becomes a lot easier. You can deconstruct it. Uh, yep. But let me, let me ask you, because going back to my own experience, you know, how I was able to set this intention uh, for myself is I started doing the, the dreamlining exercise and just kind of being really clear about what I want to create in my life in three months and six months and then deconstructing that into steps. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you've mentioned that you're pretty clear on intention. So going back to 2004, 2005, you, you really pause to reflect and, you know, say, this is the intention. This is the goal for my life. This is the direction I'm going. Mm-hmm. And then you have that reason why driving you. What do you recommend for people like to, to kind of get clear on that intention and, and just be really focused on where they want to go? Hmm, that's a good question. I think that, um, well, let's see. I mean, part of it is just, you know, um, making a point of making time and space for that. You know, it's so busy. It's so easy to just be busy and go, 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 and then be like, well, wait a second, you know, hang, hang on. How did I get here? And, um, actually it's funny. I wrote a blog post about that. You know, the, um, the talking head song, uh, once in a lifetime, you know, and he's like, how did I get here? Like, this isn't my house. <laughs> this isn't my beautiful wife, whatever. And that always sums up for me. Like even before any of this, like travel and, you know, nomadism and whatever was even a glimmer in my eye. I always felt like I don't want to wake up one day, one day and be like, how the hell did I get here? This is not how I thought my life was going to go. And not, of course, life can take you in lots of crazy places that you did not expect, even if you are being intentional. But, you know, to not have it be like, I didn't do any of the stuff I wanted to do or, you know, this isn't what was important to me, all those kinds of things. So, yeah, I think part of it is just finding the space and the time to sit down and think about that stuff. Um, one thing that I've been doing more in the last couple of years is, you know, kind of as we come to the end of the year, reflecting back on the past year and looking forward to the next year in terms, you know, both personally and professionally, you know, what went well, what didn't go well, what do I want to do differently? What are my goals for next year? Um, and there are lots of, you know, you can obviously do that all by yourself. And there are also some really great, um, tools and resources out there. I know people, a lot of, especially this time of year, you know, like end of the year that people are offering, um, like planners and workbooks and like things that you can use to, you know, kind of walk you through both the reflection and the goal setting part. Um, and yeah, I found that to be super valuable. And also, you know, I talked to people a lot about this on the podcast comes up a lot of just, I don't, I don't necessarily have a system around it and, you know, you don't necessarily have to, but just making a point of 
really checking in with yourself and with your, you know, travel partner, if you have one or your business partner, what have you, like, how's this going? You know, are we enjoying, especially if we're talking about like the lifestyle, right? Like, do we like moving around as often as we are? Do we, you know, like Asia? <laughs> do we like, you know, South America, whatever it may be. And just looking at like, you know, it's really important to recognize if you're on the right path. And if you're not totally fine to go, Oh, this isn't working for me anymore. I'm going to change things up. That's a great point. And I know that uh, Steve Jobs has something similar that he said, where um, if I wake up too many days in a row and I feel like I don't want to do what I've been doing then, I know I need to change something. And yeah. I really like that, that exercise you said. It's something that I don't do, but I should, probably should do is uh, like at the end of the year, just look back and reflect, you know, what did I get done this year? You know, what happened? Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's a really good exercise. I know that for me, like when I, when I travel, so much more seems to happen. I have so much more condensed into a shorter time and if I spend a year at home, you know, where I'm static and sedentary and mm -hmm. I can't really remember anything except maybe a birthday party or a wedding or a funeral. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Nothing significant. Right. And I really feel that, that travel helps to accelerate that. And I also know a friend who, uh, he keeps a daily journal, which for me is a bit much, but he kind of goes and says, you know, what went wrong today? And he tries to focus on the problems and, and see how he can do better the next day. Interesting. Because I've, I've focused, I've done a little, I'm, see, I'm, I'm really bad at doing anything very consistently, but I've dabbled in all kinds of things. And one of them was like at the end of the day, like either say out loud to somebody or write in a journal or whatever, like three things you're grateful for, you know, or three things that went well that day or whatever. Um, and, and both of those are good exercises, right? It's just a matter of what you want to focus on. I feel like if I focus on what didn't go well today, like I, I naturally focus on that stuff to begin with. So I'm better off forcing myself to look at, you know, what went well. Um, you know, I think we all have our own tendencies to, to, to focus on, you know, the positive or the negative. So better to pat yourself on the back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, congratulations to you, Amy. I mean, you've, you've done a lot with your life, a lot of cool stuff and, uh, you have a great resource you put together for people at nomad, nomadtopia.com. Uh, did you want to plug yourself or your, your website, uh, anything that people should, should download or check out if they want to, how would they do that? Yeah, so, well, there's so many things, I guess, um, to keep things simple. Um, on the editing side, if this is something that um, you're curious about, either working with an editor or being an editor, I have resources to support both. I'm doing a mentoring program for new editors. And um, on my website, I have, um, if you're thinking about hiring an editor, uh, 10 questions to ask yourself, or not just yourself, and prospective um, editors before you hire an editor. So you can check that out at nomadeditorial.com. And um, on the Nomadtopia side, yeah, definitely check out the podcast. It's on iTunes and Stitcher, and all the episodes are on my website. It's Nomadtopia Radio. And I have a 14-day email course that's available for free right at the top of the homepage on Nomadtopia. So if you're thinking about this but not sure what you need to be thinking about, what you need to look at to make it happen, that's a great place to start. Okay, so if you go to nomadtopia.com and it says want to live and work from anywhere, you just enter your name and yep. your email, and then you'll get that 14-day Freedom Kickstart email course. What's in that email course, just to give people an idea? What can they expect? Well, you know, it's funny because I was just looking at it the other day because uh, I wrote that, like, a, gosh, like a year ago, and I kind of don't remember what's in it anymore. <laughs> so I really need to go back through that So, because um, I know I'm sure it could use some, you know, some tweaking and some updating and also so I could speak intelligently about it. Um, from what I remember, <laughs> from what I remember, it's, um, you know, walking through a lot of the different pieces of the puzzle from like, why do you want to be doing this all the way through to like, you know, pay attention to the systems and the whatever that you use in your typical business day. And like, are those things, could you walk out the door and do your job from anywhere or, you know, do your, your work, your business, whatever. Um, 
Or do you realize like you've got this fancy filing cabinet and you could not do without the papers in that filing cabinet, you know? So it's like really breaking down all those different pieces, um, to look at how you're going to take your life and your business on the road. And it's really just about creating a life and a business that you feel excited to wake up to every day. Yep. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, uh, Amy, for sharing all of your expertise and knowledge. I know it's late there in Buenos Aires, and you're here with us, so I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for having me.